Riley M. It's uh, hey, I like being at stadiums, watching games uh, more than watching them at home. Uh, I get all kinds of cool angles, but I don't get the effects of the crowd, of what's happening in between the scenes. And so I've been sidelined. I've been sidelined for uh, two weeks. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, I unfortunately was the one who uh, bring this little virus called COVID-19 to my home, and uh, me and my uh, two, two of my daughters ended up uh, getting sick as well. And so you haven't seen me here for two weeks. You had Brother Jose jump in for me as an emergency. I text him that one Thursday, hey, brother, I don't feel good. Uh, I'm going to go test it. I'm, I'm going to go get tested. Make sure you start preparing for the sermon in uh, a little less than 48 hours. And so he did it, and he did a great job. Let's give a, a round of applause. <clears throat> To, uh, our, elder, our elders know that at any moment you have to step in, you have to do something, and that's, that's a part of how we serve, amen? And, and last week, Pastor uh, Tom Fitzmorris, how many people were here last week, amen? Pastor Tom did a great, great, amazing job. He had me hyped and pumped at home as well, and uh, he's a great brother. I, I started laughing when he called me the last Boy Scout, I, I, you know. But uh, great guy, great guy, great. He has a passion and a love for Jesus. And the cool thing is in this next coming, upcoming year, uh, New Life, we're, as you know, we're more than 25 locations. We're all over the city for the good of the city. But we're trying to do a little bit more of, uh, of kind of like crossing each other's paths. You're going to start seeing uh, maybe more periodically, not all the time, but maybe once every three months or once every six months, a, a different New Life pastor come here. Uh, and preach to you as I will be going to different locations and preaching as well. So we're kind of just making, just kind of creating that, 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 that unity, uh, just like our youth retreats. We have you, uh, two youth retreats a year, and it's crazy because my kids, my daughter, my oldest Emily is at home talking to me about giving me names of different youth from different locations, and it's kind of cool that they, they have, especially now with social media, they can keep in touch, uh, and they have that relationship with each other because there's that sense of, us wanting to be one. We are New Life Community Church that meets at Mount Clare, just like there's uh, locations all over the place. And so it was, very, uh, it was very encouraging to see another New Life pastor here last week. And he did an amazing job as we are in this series that is titled Arrival. It's titled Arrival. And last week, Pastor Tom was uh, talking about peace. And this week, we're going to go on ahead and we're going to continue into that series, or in the series, we're going to continue with the third part of the message. So if you don't mind, if you could just close your eyes, bow your heads really quickly, because right before I start, I want to go on ahead and give this message before uh, the Lord and make sure that we're ready to receive it. Amen? Father God, we come before you and we thank you for this opportunity in which you have given us to be here, to be gathered together, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, as we get ready to give this word, Lord, that you would be uh, begin to speak to the hearts of your church. Lord, I pray, Lord, you know, especially now during this season, we've got so many things in our minds. There's so many uh, things on our list of things to do, God, that some of us probably can't even help but think about what we got to do as soon as we get out of here today. I pray, Lord, that you would be able to help put that to the side for now. Lord, that you would open our eyes to see what it is that you have to show us that you would open our ears to hear what it is that you want to tell us, God, Lord, that you would soften and open our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us this morning, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would use me to speak your word, Lord. I have the outline, Lord, but it is your word 
whatever it is that you want your children to listen to, to hear today, Father God, may you use me as a vessel to speak that humbly before you and your church today. All of this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so as we're putting this together, uh, I always try to find some type of illustration to open up this message. And one of the things that I, I got was, I want you to think of your reaction when you experience the taste of something that is absolutely delicious. Absolutely delicious. What's your reaction when that happens? Especially, especially now as we're getting ready, we're a week away from Christmas, and a lot of us are starting to go and buy the recipes of the things that we only eat once a year, uh, the things that you grow up listening. So, you know, that, that kind of thing that when you close your eyes and, and, and all of a sudden you've got that slow chewing uh, that you're savoring what it is that you're eating, even the audible noises that give you the satisfaction if it's something that's crunchy, you know. What I want you to think of, though, is a specific meal. And as you're thinking of that specific meal, as it comes to mind, you know, maybe, again, maybe it's something that you make at home. Maybe it's something you have once a year. Maybe it's something that you grew up that, man, only your grandmother could make it the way you remember it. Or maybe it's something specific at a restaurant. You've been to a restaurant, and you love that restaurant. You love that dish. Where, wherever it is from, the meal is something that you actually crave, right? Like right now, I'm, I'm craving as we get to this year, this, you know, I, I crave my, my wife's uh, flan that she makes. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm craving, which I got for Thanksgiving, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm craving uh, my father's arroz con dulce for us Puerto Ricans. Do we know what arroz con dulce is? That, le, that, that lechon asado. Um, whatever it is, those tamales, whatever it is that, you, that, that, that you're craving, you know, you've got that in your mind. Something that you compare other meals to. You know, for me... Uh, in the, uh, this past February, I remember somebody had gave Barb and I a gift card to a restaurant for Christmas. And so we went in February, uh, after we kind of went through the craziness of last year, we went to a restaurant called Wildfire. I'm not sure if you've been to, to the restaurant Wildfire. I'm not being promoted to promote them. But um, <clears throat> we both ordered, when we go to some of these restaurants that are a little bit more, not like fine, fine dining, but it's a little bit more upscale. And especially when I'm not using my money, we like to order filet mignons, right? And so, so we order filet mignons, and I can honestly say that meal that we had there, I, you know, again, I'm not advertising because I don't want you to go and have a bad experience and say, Pastor set me up. I can honestly, honestly say that that was one of the best meals that I have ever eaten in my life. I mean it. Wildfire. <laughs> have you ever eaten a meal like that? You ever had a meal where you're like, wow, you, you think about it. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, every time now we go to a restaurant and if we do order the filet mignon, we kind of compare it to that. Is it better than wildfire? Now, I'll, I'll tell you, if, if you've got a place that, that you want to put up that filet mignon against what I tasted, you can feel free to give me a gift card. I'll taste it. I'll give you a review and let you know. But you, if you've ever had a meal like that, you know, that, that, that you kept talking about, the experience of, of it, and you've actually gone on ahead and you begin to long for it again. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I'm making you hungry right now. Some of you guys, I realize you woke up, had coffee, and didn't eat yet. But today's sermon, I'm going to get back to this, but today's sermon is, is not about food. But 
this idea relates to what we're going to be talking about. Because if you've noticed, when I was talking about this filet mignon at wildfire, or talking about the arroz con dulce, or all these things, there's a smile to my face. There's joy in, in, in me at that moment. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Not food, but we're going to be talking about joy today. You see, joy is an emotional term. Joy is, in the most basic sense, it is a state of delight or well-being. You see, synonyms for joy that we may think of are gladness or elation. We also think about happiness or we think about pleasure when we hear the word joy. But in reality, those are definitely not the same thing. There's this author, his name is Frederick Buechner, and he does a good job contrasting joy and happiness. And I want to read uh, some of, his, some of his, his quotes here. What he says about that, he, he says, happiness is man-made. A happy home, a happy marriage, a happy relationship with your friends and with our jobs. He says, we work for these things, and if we are careful and wise and lucky, we can usually achieve them. He says, happiness is one of the highest achievements of which we are capable, and when it is ours, we take credit for it, and properly so. He continues and says, and this goal is ingrained in our culture. He says, if you want happiness, you work for it. That's what's ingrained in our culture. But then he also says that we never take credit for our moments of joy. Because we know that they are not man-made and that we are never really responsible for them. He continues to say they come when they come. They are always sudden and quick and unrepeatable. The unspeakable joy sometimes of just being alive. This is where joy is different, he says. He says we can't create its source. It's from outside of us and out of of our control. You see, by listening to this, we realize that joy, joy isn't based on our circumstances. Joy isn't based on, the, on if things are going our way or not. I, I constantly tell people, listen, the reality is joy is something that you have to put on. Joy is something that you got to say, hey, I will be joyful. You see, because joy is deeper and greater than our circumstances. Let's repeat that. Say, joy is deeper and greater than our circumstances. You're going to hear me repeat that multiple times today because this is something that I believe needs to be ingrained in us. That joy is deeper and greater than our circumstances because for some of us, our circumstances are all over the place. And if it's based on that, then we never will experience joy. So much so that it has not only the ability to, but the audacity to show up even during the darkest of days. How many people sometimes when life is just plain old beating you up and you cannot, like, you feel like you can't catch a break, but yet sometimes that joy is in you. I have joy. I have a joy that exceeds all understanding. People don't understand how is it that you have joy when you are going through what it is that you are going through. Buchner also says this. He says, joy is a mystery because it can happen anywhere, anytime, 
even under the most unpromising circumstances, even in the midst of suffering, with tears in its eyes, even nailed to a tree. Think about that. You know who he's speaking about there. The joy that we should have because of what our Lord and Savior did for us. Like the meal that I mentioned in the beginning, joy is something that we can both experience and also something that we can actually long for. C.S. Lewis defines joy as this. He says, the experience of an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. Clyde Kilby paraphrases this as joy is a desire which no natural happiness can ever satisfy the lifelong pointer towards heaven. You see, the idea of joy, true, true joy, is really only found in the Lord. You see, Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11, it says this. I want you to listen to this. It says, and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy, say everlasting joy, shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sign shall flee, what? Away. That's what the book of Isaiah says. And if you've noticed our, our little trend here within the last few weeks, what we've been discussing as we are in this series titled Arrival, sometimes some of us may say, well, well, this is a Christmas series, Pastor. Why aren't we, you know, talking about Jesus in the manger or anything of that sort? But what we're focusing, we try to hit it all. We try to hit everything, every inch of the Bible. And today I'm going to show you how we're trying to hit you. I'm probably going to mention a book that some of you guys probably have never heard of. But as you've been paying attention, we've been covering and we've been taking a look at different Old Testament prophets throughout this series who spoke of the Messiah to come, Jesus Christ, the arrival of Jesus amongst us. Today we're going to be in the book of Zephaniah, this prophet who his message speaks specifically of how it is that we can find joy in the Lord. I want to remind you, I'm going to, we're going to be reading the book of Zephaniah, and in this we're going to see why, why it is and how it is that we can find joy in the Lord. And the first thing that we're going to learn in this book is that we are to find joy in God's grace. Find joy in God's grace. I've taught you that grace is, is when we're speaking about grace from the Lord, we're talking about grace being something that God is giving to us even though we don't deserve it. For some of us, the fact that we have breath in our lungs after we've treated our body horrible is God's grace in allowing us to continue to be breathing. Find joy in God's grace. God giving us what we don't deserve, but he's a gracious God, so he does it anyways. It's like, it's like especially now as we're uh, a couple of days away from Christmas, it's like your kids, maybe your children haven't been the best this year. Maybe they've been driving you crazy. Maybe they, they haven't been doing well in school, and yet they still have the audacity to give you a Christmas list with the top five items that they would like. Now, you as a parent, you take a look at that list, and you say, well, the reality is I should give you jack nothing. I'll give you some coal or whatever the case is. That's really, I should teach you a lesson. But because some of us parents, or hopefully all of us parents, are so loving and so gracious, 
towards our kids. Even though they, if you, if you were looking at a scale, at a judging scale, a grading scale, you say you don't get anything, but yet you love them so much and you have so much grace that you're giving them something. Maybe not the number one, maybe the number five thing on the list. But you're giving them something because of the grace that you have towards them. And church, that's why I'm saying that we need to find joy in God's grace. Why? Because like I said earlier, Joy is deeper and greater than our circumstances. In the book of Zephaniah, if you've got your Bibles with you, I know you're going to have a hard time finding it. You can look at the index. I give you permission. and uh, it's, not, it's, it's not a big book, and it's one that maybe we don't look at too often. Um, we also will have them up on the screen. Uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we're going to be reading right now. Give you an extra minute to find what you're looking for. Zephaniah, Z-E-P-H. No, I'm kidding. Verse 14, this is what it says. Listen. It says, sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. We'll stop right there. I want you to hear this, as you hear this part, in reality, it sounds like a call to worship, doesn't it? It sounds like a call to worship, and it is. It definitely is, but I want you, before I talk about this song, this call to worship, I want to, ha we have to grasp the context here, okay? This section of the book that I'm reading right now that is making us clap, is, is, is making the people of Israel be encouraged and have joy, this section of the book is coming to and a half chapters after in which the people are called out for their sin. The people were called out for their idolatry in chapter, in the, in chapter 1 of the book of Zephaniah. The people were called out for them not pursuing God. The people were called out for their complacency. The people were called out for their pride and for their rebellion. You see, because the reality is this, that there are consequences for sin. There was consequences for their sin. There's a vivid descriptions are, are, are given here showing Israel how their sins have brought up all of these issues upon themselves. And so chapter 3, which I just finished reading to you, cannot be read separate than chapter 1. So when you have time, read that at home. But I kind of gave you this, just a little quick bullet point on what chapter 1 is talking about. You see, the, the reality is the people of Israel, their, their actions had created a joyless existence. Remember what I tell you, you know, that joy that comes from the Lord. That joy, only the joy from the Lord allows you to be joyful in the midst of all kinds of crazy circumstances. The issue is when we allow sin to rule our lives, when we allow sin to dictate what we do, what happens is now, yes, you are having joyless experiences. You're going around and you say, man, but I don't have this joy. Well, how's your relationship with Jesus Christ? Their own actions had created a joyless experience. And, and this is very, very important, church. And that is that going against who God is, away from his best and ignoring what it is that he calls people to, that creates brokenness. That creates brokenness. And, and, and the Bible calls that sin. Sometimes that brokenness is caused, the reality is, by our own decisions. 
Sometimes the brokenness that we're experiencing in our life is because our own decisions, and we need to look ourselves in the mirror and realize that. Sometimes the brokenness that we're feeling and experiencing is because of the, the decisions of others. Sometimes it's because just creation is plain old broken. But Zephaniah tells us, he tells us this, and this is a beautiful, beautiful word, and this is why we ought to be joyful this morning. Zephaniah tells us that God, the Lord of lords, King of kings, the creator of every single thing, does not want people to stay in their brokenness. God does not want people to stay in their brokenness. And to the midst of the reality, the beautiful thing is that God offers grace and restoration. And some of us need to say amen for that. The fact that we have been in the bottom of the bottomless pit, and yet God doesn't desire to see us that way. He doesn't want us to stay in that position. He has grace towards us. He had grace. The people were in, into idolatry. They were away from God, but yet God had grace over them. He says, your punishment will be taken away. God uses Zephaniah to tell the people of Israel. He has restoration for them. He tells the people, he will turn back your enemies. You see, the reality is that God will change. We're seeing here in, in, in a couple quick chapters. Now, it didn't happen that fast in reality, but what we're seeing here that God eventually is going to change their joyless ex existence into one that is defined by joy. You see, in David, David actually sings about this in the book of Psalms chapter 51, when he was beginning to confess his own sins and, and failures to the Lord, he prays this prayer. It's found in Psalms chapter 51, verses 7 through 12. It says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I love that part. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Some of us are looking for joy in all kinds of different things. What we need to start and what we need to begin is the joy that we ought to have in our salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Because of the grace of God, because of his love for us, because of his pursuit of us, we can know that there's joy in our life. We can know the joy of life that we have with him. Eugene Peterson says this. He says, joy is not a requirement. Listen to this. Joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. He says, it's a consequence. It's not what we have to acquire in order to experience life in Christ. It is what comes to us when we are walking in the way of faith and obedience. You want joy? You want to say, where's my joy? Begin to walk in faith and obedience with God. And then you will begin to experience that joy. The reality is that Jesus is who makes this possible. He's what makes this possible. 
In the first book of John, chapter 1, verse 9, it says this. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. The unrighteousness is what keeps us from experiencing the joy. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Psalms chapter 32, verses 1 and 2 says this, Blessed is the one who, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see, we must acknowledge, yes, we must acknowledge and, and we must mourn the reality of our sin. But the beautiful news is that we can find joy in God's forgiveness and his restoration. We can go before God with no shame, with no guilt, with a clean heart, with a renewed spirit, with a new life. Why? Well, because through Jesus Christ, joy is deeper and greater than any of our circumstances. So we, need, we, we can find joy in God's grace. If you're struggling in that department, find joy. Know that you have the grace of God. Know, be joyful, because even right now, if you are walking apart from God, if you are walking a life that is not in obedience with God, be joyful that you have life still in your lungs, that God is a gracious God, and that if you can get yourself aligned right personally with Jesus Christ, you can now reap the benefits of his grace. But not only does Zephaniah tell us that we can find joy in God's grace, but also we can find joy, joy in God's presence. We can find joy in God's presence. Zephaniah chapter 3, the second part of verse 15 and 17 says this. It says, the Lord, the King of Israel, is with who? You. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I'm going to break that down really quick. But the first phrase of this, of what I just read, this is where it's at. This is where it's at when we're talking about Finding joy in the presence of God. What does he say? What does Zephaniah say? It says, the Lord, the King of Israel is what? With you. Did you hear that? The Lord, the King of Israel. The Lord of lords. The King of kings. The one that tells the water how far to come in. The one that knows every star by name. The one that knows every hair on your head. The one that knows the days that you have of life. That Lord, that King, the Bible says, is with you. And because he is with you, man, we ought to have joy. It doesn't say, I hope to see. It doesn't say not that he's going to come back and visit. It doesn't say that he's, he's, not, that he's watching you from a distance. It doesn't say, hey, that, that because you're sick, you've got to quarantine from God for 10 days. It says, the Lord is with you. Even when you're sick, he's there next to you. 
When you're drifting away, he's there next to you. When you're at home alone in your room, depressed and tears are running down your face, the Bible says he is with you. It says that we are in the presence of God, that when we are in the presence of God, in the presence of the saving warrior, the one who takes delight in us, who he is, the Bible says, it removes fear. Did you catch that? When you understand that the Lord of Lords is by your side, it ought to remove fear, right? I remember when I was younger and I was in school, I don't know how many of you guys remember when the starter jackets came out. Everybody wanted the starter jackets with different teams. I had my father for Christmas bought me a black starter jacket, a Chicago Bulls one. But the issue with that is that these bullies in school and things like that, they, they always were, were threatening people to, to take their stuff. I've seen someone get their shoes taken off their feet and, and the people run away. And I remember one day I walked into the school and I was all happy. I got my black Chicago Bulls starter jacket and someone tells me, hey, you better be ready because after school that jacket's mine. Now, what did I do? I was young. I can't remember how old I was. But I remember that I had an older cousin in the school. So what did I do? I go through and all that stuff, and I find my oldest cousin. And I say, hey, Jesse, Jesse, listen. This girl, but she's older. She's an eighth grader. And I'm like, hey, this guy is threatening to take my jacket. She's like, what? No, no, don't worry. After school, meet me here. We're going to walk together. So now when my cousin's walking with me, instead of me being fearful, I'm walking with my chest puffed up because no one's going to take my jacket because my older cousin is with me. You understand where I'm going? That when we understand that the one that no one can stand toe-to-toe with in this universe is standing by our side, that we ought not fear because he is with us. Even though we walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. This is, what, this is why we ought to have joy. Because no matter what situation we are encountering, it doesn't matter if every single person here on this side of eternity that said they would never leave us has left us, God is with us. And so we ought to have joy because he removes fear. The presence of God is a no-fear zone. If you take anything out of today, make sure that that's one of the things you take, that the presence, being in the presence of God is a no-fear zone. If you're struggling with fear, run to the throne room of Jesus Christ today, right now, and don't leave. Don't be afraid. I know, I know that it's easier said than done at times. I know that at times, the reality is that we get that dejected stare, right? We've been beat up. It's just one thing after another. I'll raise my hand for that. I feel like the last year and a half has been one punch after another for me and my family. You get, you feel defeated. Your arms start to feel limp, right? You don't know how much more of this life you can take. You get discouraged. You want to quit. You want to stop doing this. You want to stop doing that. You don't want no one over at the house no more because you just feel defeated. You have so much fear. You turn on the news and all you see, oh, man, cases are back on the rise. There's lawlessness everywhere that you look. Everywhere that you look, there's this craziness. You feel like you don't even want to leave the front doors of your steps anymore. But what I got to tell you today, church, is that according to what the Bible says, that is that the Lord 
Jesus Christ is with us. No matter what it is that you're seeing, no matter what it is that's surrounding you, the Lord is with us. The Bible says that the Lord lifts us up. The Bible says that the Lord carries us. The Bible says that the Lord watches over us. He is with us. And so he makes it. God makes it that where hands are hanging limp and the feet can be raised up confidently in praise. He makes sure, we, we, we need to make sure that we focus more on the Lord, church, who is with us than the situations that we are currently in or that are surrounding us. Focus more on the Lord that is with us than what it is that's happening around us. And the reality is, because we're human beings, we typically like to do the opposite. We like to do the opposite. Now, that isn't to say that I'm telling you, ignore your situation. No, not at all. But I want you to look at your situation with the knowledge that God is with you. All right? You're sick. You're not feeling good. No, I'm not saying ignore it. Don't say I'm not going to a doctor because God is with me. He's going to heal me. No, go to your doctor's appointment. Go through all of that stuff. But know that you have the Lord of Lords with you by your side. And remember that God is, it, 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 God, the God who is with you, he delights in you. That's another thing. Some of us just feel like God is just this major, huge God, and he is, who stands with us, and he, and he does. But, but God also delights in his creation. God delights, he, he, he takes delight in you. He will take great delight in you, in his love. He will no longer rebuke you is what Zephaniah, is what we see here in the Bible. But he, the Bible says that he will actually rejoice over you with singing. Did you know that? Did you know that the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, looks at you, he has delight in you, and he sings over you. That's what the Bible, some of you are saying, man, I didn't, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You see, this is an Old Testament picture like how we see the father at the end of the prodigal son story in the New Testament. A lot of times you hear me, I, I go back to the story a lot because it's, it's so relatable. In the, and let me take you to that last part so I can show you where they kind of sync up a little bit. But in Luke chapter 15, verse 21, it says this. This is how after the, the son was out and he, he took the inheritance and he tried to do what he did, but he parted it up real quick. And next thing you know, he's eating slop with the pigs and he's realizing and understanding, man, even the servants at my father's house eat better than I am right now. So he, the Bible says he came to his senses. Remember when I preached over that? He came to his senses and said, man, I've got to go back and ask for forgiveness and see if my father will have enough grace to let me back in the house. This is what, it's, what, what happens right after all that. Verse 21, it says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly, again, a beautiful dis display of grace. Bring the but the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Some of us are saying, hey, shouldn't the father be mad? Shouldn't he be upset that the, the father, that the son blew his money, thought he could live life better without him, and now has come running back home? Shouldn't he be upset? No. He says, give him the best of the best and let us celebrate. For this, 
my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate the time of death. The father celebrates. Why does he celebrate? He celebrates because the son who was lost and dead is now found and alive. The father in the parable, he wants to celebrate. Well, what is Zephaniah saying? Zephaniah is saying that, that God rejoices over us with singing. You get that? God's singing over you. He's not, not, not that he's worshiping you, but he's finding joy in you, especially when you come to your senses, especially when you build a relationship with him, especially when you say no to the things of the world, especially when your mind gets conformed to, to, to the ways of God, when you're being obedient to him. Even in the, in the midst of you suffering, God, as long as he sees that you are still putting him first, the Bible shows us that God finds joy in us. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I would love to see my parents happy with me. But what is it that you're going through this morning? What is it that you're dealing with? What is it that maybe your, 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 your brain is just super, super processing right now at this moment. Well, according to the word of God, and what I want to tell you is you're not alone. You're not alone. Not only hopefully do you have a family with you, a family of Christ with you, but you have the Lord of glory with you. What noise is going on in your life that seems hopeless? What noise is going on right now around your life that, that, that just seems so confusing to you that you just don't understand? Well, listen, Know that God sings. What makes you feel dejected? What, what's making you feel rejected? What, what's making you feel unwanted? Church, lift up your arms up in praise because God is with you, because God loves you, because God wants you, because God cares for you. Don't just take this as another cliche you know, form of words that you're hearing from me. No, this is true. This is fact. God has all of these feelings towards you. And so you ought to be joyful because you are not alone. You see, sometimes we get so caught up in this physical and you say, yes, I am alone, Pastor. No one is around me. No one's calling up to check up on me. No one is doing this or whatever the case is. No, you are not alone. The one that is still by your side is the one that will satisfy every single one of your needs if you allow him. Remember, joy is deeper and greater than any of our circumstances. According to Zephaniah, what we see here is not only do we have uh, joy because of God's grace towards us, not only do we experience or we ought to live in joy because, because of God's presence, but the last thing that we see here is that we ought to find joy in God's promises. Not only is he gracious towards us, no, 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 not only is he with us, but he has given us promises to hang on to. Remember, the joy of the Lord is something that we experience, but it's also something that, that we anticipate. We experience the joy of salvation and the joy of presence. He takes the initiative and, and he makes it possible, but the beautiful thing is that his work is not done. His work is not done. Today, uh, in this season, we are, we are celebrating uh, when Christ came and, and took flesh 
to begin the steps of saving us. And we understand that and we look at that and we acknowledge that and we remember that. But we also have great promises of our God, Jesus Christ, who is to return one day as well. And so Zephaniah, he communicates what he will, what God is going to continue to do. The God that he is. This is what, this is what God says through Zephaniah. In verse 18, he says, I will remove you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppress you. We're talking about a future now. God is using Zephaniah to speak to the people of Israel about their future, future promises. He says, I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. Verse 20 says, at that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. But before we get to the, the good part of this section here, which is the promises, we all like good promises, right? But we have to acknowledge one thing. We got to acknowledge one thing that is very important. And I hope that as a pastor, I have succeeded to drive this home to you, the church. And that is that the promises of God and the love of God do not mean that life won't be hard at times. The promises and the love of God doesn't mean that you are going to automatically get a pass suffering ticket from God. We're going to experience it. We're going to go through it. In this world, you will have troubles, Jesus Christ says. He's given people the ability to choose. And since the beginning, the choice is often for many of us to, to move away from God. We've seen it throughout the scriptures. We continue to see it now. Instead of moving towards him. And remember that that causes brokenness. When you, when you separate from God, you, that causes brokenness. Again, the Bible calls separation from God sin. So it may be our choice. It may be the choice of another or, or the choice from the beginning which broke creation that we all know about. But however it is that it came about, there will be mourning. There will be burdens. There, there will be oppression. There will be sickness. There will be exile. There will be shame. There's all things that we're going to experience. But thankfully, church, thankfully the promise-keeping God declares what he will do. He says, you're going to experience that, but this is what I'm going to do. The Bible says he will remove burdens. Say amen to that. He will deal with the oppressors. Say amen to that. He will rescue you. He will gather the exiles. He will bring us home one day. Say amen to that, church. From the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament, this is the promise of God. The Bible ends with a similar promise as well. You know, this passage is here is for the, the, the people of Israel and how they have been scattered multiple times throughout the Bible because of their, 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 their separation from God, but eventually God will restore them. And now here in the book of Revelations, we hear where God is going to restore all of us one day. And we all will be home. It says in Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, have joy because this is a promise of God. Don't be stuck in the promises of wealth, the, the promises of that your relationship will be restored. That's all good. But this is the promise of promises here. 
This is what we need to be focused on as people of Jesus Christ. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. From God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to this. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older, old order of things has passed away. He who, has, who, who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. For some of us, we are tired of this order that we are currently living in. We're tired of the same old, same old order that we were born, we live, we work, we stress, all these things, and we die. And it's the same thing with every family member that we have. Eventually, it gets us. We mourn and we mourn and we mourn. And the Bible says that one day the old order will pass away and God will say, today I am making all things new. That is a promise that we ought to be joyful to. No more sickness. No more pain. No more feeling deserted. No more feeling like we are alone. The Bible says God will dwell among his people. No more having to pray to God. God, if I could only see you, no, you will be right in front of him. Eugene Peterson says, there is plenty of suffering on both sides. Past and future, the joy comes because God knows how to wipe away tears. And in, his, and in his resurrection work, creates the smiles of new life. Joy is what God gives, not what we work up. Again, joy is deeper and greater than any of our circumstances. You see, these promises of God, this promised conclusion that we find here, these are truths that we must cling to. These are truths that we must, we must find hope in. Why? Because they give us perspective and they give us, give us comfort. They give us hope in what is to come. That's why when we look at the craziness state of this world, when we see and look at the lawlessness all over the place where we're saying, man, people can't even act like human beings no more. What happens is we ought to not be discouraged. We ought to not fear, but we ought to have comfort and hope because we know that one day this old order will pass away. Knowing what God is doing, knowing what God will do helps us, church, Navigate the difficulties as we wait for their fulfillment. In the midst of a season that we are currently living in church right now that none of us has really ever seen before, it feels like exile, doesn't it? Rather brought on by ourselves or, or others, we, we navigate by pursuing our promise-keeping God. Focus on God, church. Through this current situation, through this world, listen, rather, Jesus is coming tomorrow or another 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 100 years. Whatever the case is, continue to, 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 to keep focused 
on God. Because he tells us clearly who he is. So that we can seek him. So that we can follow him. So that we can trust him. So that we can find comfort in him. So church, here's the question. Who are you looking to for life? Who are you looking to for meaning? Who is it that you're looking to for purpose? Who is it that you're looking to for joy in this world? Listen, if it's the person sitting next to you, you've got it wrong. They play a part of it, but that's not where your focus needs to be in. Because nothing else can make the kind of claim. No one else can make the kind of claim that God can. No one can offer what it is that God offers. Even if someone tried with all they ever had, every ounce of in their being, only God could pull it off. You know that amazing meal that you were thinking about earlier? How I was mentioning the filet mignon and... You guys were all thinking of whatever it was that you were thinking. Imagine, oh, this is where we tie it in together. Imagine if that meal was the grace of God and the life that he offered. Listen, pay attention to this. Imagine if that meal was the grace of God and the life that he offers, that one that gets you all giddy and joyful and you can't wait to taste. Well, I got something to tell, tell you. Why are you settling for fast food? Why are you settling for fast food when you know what you have tasted and seen is good? Why are you settling for fast food when something amazing and fulfilling is being offered to you? I almost, I'm almost getting emotional as I'm saying this to you today. Trust, church. In the promise-keeping God. Let him be your life. Experience him. Anticipate him. Amen? I'm going to close with a couple passages. In the book of Psalms, chapter 30, verse 11 through 12. It says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosened my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The book of Isaiah, chapter 51, verse 11 says, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will shall flee away. In John chapter 16, verse 20, it says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into this world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. 
I hope you've really kind of wrapped your finger around this message today. God is a God who is gracious, who is present, and who is a promise keeper. Because of those reasons, we have joy. Don't you forget about it. You've tasted him. Come on, church. You've tasted him. For some of you, that day you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when he wiped away all the sin in your life, when he separated your sin as far as the east is from the west, when you felt like you were dirty, when you felt like no one wanted to look at you, but God, Jesus Christ embraced you, and you felt like you were a new creation. Your, your love, your first love, and, and the reality is that this world has bitten away at you little at a time. We just settled into the pastor because it's quick, it's easy, it's convenient. God says, listen, that good meal may take longer to cook. You might have to marinate it for days. But do you remember how it tasted when you bit into it? That's what I have for y'all from God's side. That's what I have for you, my children, my son, my daughter. Once again, come to me and taste and see that I am still glorified. And I ask you all rise. God is a promise keeper. And on a day like today, or a season like today, we go on ahead and and we are remembering. We are remembering and we are seeing how God is a God who loves us. A God who, who, who decided to dwell against amongst us one day when he saw the state of his children was a mess he said man my kids are going crazy down there they're wild they can't save themselves poor kids they don't know what to do so I will now appear like one of them in the Bible we see that he steps down he removes his clothes his robe of majesty and he puts on his robe of flesh that would feel that would feel pain that would cry that would be tortured one day, but that would be used to teach of his love to each other, to each and every single one of us. God kept testing his end of the deal. He came as one day as a baby. Even that, he goes up, he grows up, and he dies for us. He says, I will come back, and he comes back again. But we've got one more part of that promise where he will come back once and for all for each and every single one of us. But today, as we look and we remember this season when Christ came down. We understand and we see that, listen, the reality is this world was dark. At the end of the, the Old Testament, we see that there's, there's, there's total darkness for hundreds of years before we see the light of the world approach once again through Jesus Christ. So one of the things we've always liked to do is when we're celebrating this time, Christ's birth, we like to kind of just shut the lights all off. And amongst us here, we like to kind of light a candle and and kind of pass it to the next person and the next person and the next person so that we can go on ahead and just see how this grows dark. But Christ brings light. Before we do that, I want to read this passage that's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, 
verses 2 and 3 and also 6 and 8. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing their plunder. Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So I want, as we go on ahead and Jason's going to sing uh, this song, I want us to worship God. You know how when we do the communion, we're, we're, we're meditating and we're remembering what Christ did for us when he died today. I want us to remember as a church the light of this world stepping into the darkness. Remember and be grateful in our hearts that Christ loved us so much that he gave. God gave him. He gave up his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not have perished but have everlasting life. I'm going to ask that you guys turn this light off here. You guys got eye signs. You can see your notes. Yes.
So right now, we, we just lift up your, your name, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Let us remember. As many times as we say it, sometimes we can forget. We can get lost in the shuffle of all the things to do, Lord, that you, God, that you, Jesus Christ, are the true reason for the season, God. Lord, that we would even take something like this, a, a tradition that we do here, Lord, and that we, we would take it home. Maybe, maybe before we open our presents or whatever, we shut the lights off and put some candles on it and just sing and pray to you, God. To know, Father God, Lord, that it is you that we celebrate. You are the gift, Father God, Lord Jesus Christ. The true gift, Father God. A gift that you've given us, God. Salvation. What greater gift than a gift that, that, that no one else can receive, that no one else can give, Father God, that nothing else can get us to eternity, Father God, but that gift that you offered us. So we thank you. We love you. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would honor you. Lord, in this season, Lord, as we maybe if we do meet with others or, or whatever, Father God, Lord, that we would remember, Lord, that as we look at these candles that are lit in this darkness, God, that this is the way we ought to look at the world. The world ought to look at us. Our families that don't know you ought to look at us. Our friends that don't know you ought to look at us, Lord Jesus, and see a light. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to continue to fan it into flames. That we represent you, God. That you called us to be the light of the world. You called us to be the salt of the earth. You did not call us to blend in, but you called us to stand out. God, Lord, we were made for such a time as this. Let us be a reflection of your love. Let us be a reflection of the hope that you give us. Church, I leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray and we say Amen. Amen and amen. Merry Christmas, church. We love you. Have a great week.